Good morning, everyone. You all right? Good. Right. So this morning, everyone, we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. Who's enjoying our series in Matthew so far? Yes. Do you remember when I first spoke, uh, the first talk of this series, and I compared this sermon series to an epic Lord of the Rings extended edition film? Do you remember? I said it was like going to be a four-hour one. Well, since then, and you might not know this because I don't talk about it a lot, um, but since then I actually ran a marathon, you know. You wouldn't know that because you wouldn't know that I'm a runner, would you? Because I never mentioned it. You'd never hear me talk about it. But in case you didn't know that I sometimes run, because I don't like to mention it, but in case you didn't know that, I actually did actually run a marathon, believe it or not. You might not know that, but I did run a marathon. And um, I'm actually got. thank you. Yeah, someone's clapping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Three hours, 45 minutes, in case you wondered. I mean, you know. Anyway, um, I was thinking about this sermon series, and I'm no longer going to compare it to a four-hour epic Lord of the Rings film. I'm going to compare it to a marathon, okay? Our series through Matthew is a bit of a marathon. We can see the end point. We can see where we're going to get to, but we're not going to rush to get there. We're going to go slow and steady through the book of Matthew, and we're going to um, explore each different part, each different story that Jesus told, each different part of Jesus' life, and we're going to really let it soak into us, okay? But unlike my actual marathon, okay, this isn't going to be torture. We're not going to be killing ourselves doing this, okay? We're going to find this an enjoyable, life-giving experience, okay? Because when we um, study the Gospels, when we get into Jesus' life, it brings us life, doesn't it? When we hear about the amazing things he does, it gives us life. It's life-giving, good news. So I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely loving this series so far. I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. And this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different, okay? You're not just going to be listening to me this morning. I'm going to give you a bit of a break from my voice. Um, I'm going to get one of my friends to come up and speak a little bit of today's talk as well. Um, But before I do that, I'm going to give us a little bit of context. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 8 today. And just to kind of catch us up on where we're up to in terms of Matthew's gospel so far, um, we've spent a few weeks or maybe even a month or so going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus laying out a new way of living. It was Jesus teaching people what it means to follow him. And we spent um, most of kind of chapter 6 and some of chapter 7 looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And then what we see as we come into chapter 8 is this fascinating story where Jesus says that there's a cost to following him. So he's laid out this amazing lifestyle, this amazing Jesus-centered lifestyle. This is a new way of living. And then he said, but actually, that's going to cost you. There's a cost to following Jesus. And we don't like to talk about that, do we, as Christians? We don't like to talk about the cost of following Jesus. But he lays it out, okay? And then as we get um, further into chapter 8, where we're going to be up to this morning, we see why this cost is worth it, okay? Following Jesus is going to cost us, but Jesus then demonstrates why it's worth it, why it's worth paying that cost, all right. Why it's worth sacrificing, why it's worth maybe uh, following God's plans and not our own plans. Because Jesus lays out and he shows us who he really is. He demonstrates his power and he demonstrates his authority. And what we're going to be seeing this morning is the authority of Jesus on display. And that authority shows why following him is worth it. And depending on where you're from in the world, we're quite a multicultural church, aren't we? We've got people from lots of different nations and different backgrounds. And depending on where you're from in the world, the word authority can have some sort of negative meaning, can't it? It can have some negative connotations. We don't always think positively about authority or about authorities. 
So if I asked you guys to think about authorities and authority, what might come to your mind? Maybe you think of policemen or judges or politicians or faceless government officials who make laws and we never see. Maybe you think of Boris Johnson and all of his mates having parties, at work events, work meetings. Um, we might not have a particularly positive idea of authority. Or if you're from another nation, maybe you think of something worse when we say authorities. Maybe you think of someone knocking on your door at five o'clock in the morning and taking you away. Maybe you think of corruption or worse. Maybe you think of people who put oppressive laws in place which have forced you to move away and leave your family. See, we don't always have a positive view of the word authority. But in all of those situations that I've talked about, when we're referring to worldly authority, we're thinking of people who have the power to do what they want. Yeah? Quite often they're backed up by an army or something, but we're talking about people who have the power to do what they want. But that is different to the authority that Jesus shows. Jesus shows something different. Jesus demonstrates his authority. And his authority never leaves us feeling negative. His authority leads us to want to trust him. You see, you can't miss Jesus' authority in the Gospels. We'll see it this morning. We see Jesus has got authority over nature. We see Jesus has got authority over the demonic. We see his um, teaching, which brings authority. We see that he's got authority over sickness and illness. We see that he's got authority to change people's life, literally change people's life. Jesus shows us what real authority is. And it's different to any other authority or authorities that we'll see in this world. It's much greater. Jesus is someone who's worth following. He's someone who's worth trusting And he's unlike anyone else that we'd ever want to follow. Yes, there's a cost to following Jesus. But if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, it is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. And we're going to get a sense of why this morning. As we look at two different stories, um, I'm going to get my friend Colby up to speak in a little minute. Um, You've seen him once this morning. We're going to see him again. But before that, let me just read the first little story for you. So if you go to Matthew 8 and start at verse 23, and we're going to read a few verses out of there, and it'll be on the screen behind me. So it says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Fascinating story, really famous story. And I'm going to get Colby up, who's going to unpack this for us. Um, Colby's one of our students here at Teesside. He's from Ghana, and uh, he's here studying an MA. And uh, he's been with us for a few months now. He stuck with us even after joining us for online church. So his faith is strong if he stuck with us after that, I tell you. Um, but Colby is uh, he's part of the Gen Z's community group. And I get the pleasure of being in the same group as Colby. And it was in that group that I discovered that this man has a real depth of understanding of the Bible and a real love for scripture, which is just, it's fascinating, but it's also encouraging. He's the type of person where when you listen to him talk from the Bible, you get encouraged. 
you want to learn more because he's got this depth of understanding. So I'm going to invite Colby up. Why don't we give him a big clap and he's going to speak to us. All right, thank you, Gavin. So in the scripture, we see two very important points. Um, one very famous, a lot of us, normally when we read the scripture, we tend to look at that because we see Jesus calming the storm. And it's, it reveals the fact that when we call out unto Jesus in our days of needs, in our times of trials, Jesus would listen to us and he's able to deliver us in our moments of struggle. Yeah. yeah. But there is an essential part of this scripture that a lot of the time we tend to miss. And that is the person of Jesus, the identity of Jesus. And we see that the disciples or the followers were marveled at what Jesus did. And it struck their minds and they began to wonder who this man was. They asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey? Now we remember that over the period we've been doing this series... Um, we've said that Matthew was written to the Jewish people and they, then, then it meant that there is a Jewish contest to this. There are a lot of scriptures in the Bible that speaks about a person or who has the ability to command the storm, who has the ability to speak to the waves and the waves has to listen to. And we see that that was why these people became so marveled and they began to wonder what sort of man is this because they had a previous knowledge that probably proud to this event, they didn't recognize that this is the thing about Jesus. So they began to wonder what sort of man is this because they then probably remembered that in the book of Psalms, in the book of Proverbs and in the book of Isaiah, there is a particular description of, of who has the ability to control the winds. And so can we have a scripture, I think, in Psalm chapter 65, verse 5 to 7? Oh, that's it there. So your answer, your answer so this scripture actually was referring to God. And he says that your, you answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the, the Father sea. Listen to this part. Who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring sea, the roaring of the waves, and the, the turmoil of the nations? Now we see this part where he says, you, you stilled the roaring sea, you, uh, and the roaring of the waves, referring to God. And this is Jesus who comes into the picture, a mere man, perhaps a young man, Speaking to the waves and calming the waves. Then the disciples realized, no, this has to be a man with a peculiar anointing, a peculiar authority. Because they remember this scripture. Again, let's see another one from Proverbs. So in Proverbs, again, he says, who has gone up to the heavens and come down. Now remember, when Jesus died, Bible says that no one went to, 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 to um, the heavens except he who came who came down, referring to Jesus. Now, this is Proverbs also saying, who has gone up to the heaven and come down, whose hands have guarded up the winds, referring to God, meaning that God is able to control the winds because his hands alone is able to gather the winds. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, he says that who has wrapped the waters, the oceans, in a clock. Other scripture version says, in his garment. 
who has established all the ends of the world. So this is just what I'm talking about. He has wrapped the waters in a clock, in his garment. He has control over the winds, referring to God. Then the disciple sees that, oh, what sort of man is this, that even the waves and the sea obey. Then the next scripture is in Isaiah, which says that God measures the sea in his palm. Is it there? No. So God measures the sea in his palm. It tells of the authority God has over the sea. So if Jesus was able to speak to the storm, it reveals the authority Jesus had over the storm and the sea. But the disciples didn't know this. So Jesus was quite upset when they called out unto him. He said, why are you of little faith? Why do you fear? Don't you know that I'm the controller of the sea? Don't you recognize this about me? So this is what God wants from us, that we would recognize who he is in every situation of our lives. Now, the most important thing we should remember is that the quality of our lives as Christians is highly dependent on the revelation we have of Jesus Christ. So how much of understanding we have about Jesus determines the quality of our work with him. So that if you know God to be your savior in all situations, there is no situations that will come to us that would defeat us. So Bible says that in the book of First uh, Samuel chapter 17, Bible says that David was faced with a storm, Goliath. And Bible says that when David went to Goliath, David said, you come to me with sword and javelins, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of Israel. So David had an understanding that he wasn't just a male lad facing this storm. He was one backed by a living God who had a con- the control over the armies of Israel and who was the Lord of hosts. Now, you look at what the Lord of hosts meant, and it meant, um, when you say host in the Bible, a lot of the time, it meant an army of angels. So, he, he knew that he had the backing of not only a God who, who, who controlled the armies of earth, but a God who controls the heavenly armies and the armies of earth. So David understood that he wasn't just going to swing something and throw a stone. Honestly, that doesn't make any sense. For a stone to be able to enter the skull of a giant, it had to take a miracle. It had to take one who believed that he walked with a God who who was the controller of the armies of heaven and the armies of the earth. So how we identify ourselves with God, how we, how we perceive God to be, is exactly how he meets us at a point of our needs. So God, knowing this, decided to reveal himself to Moses as Jehovah, meaning the one who becomes. So at every point in time, God becomes what they needed. So if they needed healing, God says that I'm Jehovah Raphael. I am the God who is able to provide you with healing. And he becomes their healing at that point in time. Because God knew that walking in the wilderness is going to take lots of struggle. They were going to face different storms at different times. And he needed to reveal himself to the people of Israel and, and Moses, their leader, as the one who is able to become, the one who is able to meet every need. So when they needed food, when they needed whatever, God says, I'm your provider. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm able to become this. Hallelujah. So when you recognize God in a particular light, he meets you at that point of your needs. And I was giving an example. Let's assume Simon invites me to his house party. I walk into the house party and Gavin sees me and Gavin goes like, hey, Kobe, you're not invited here. Go home. 
I don't have to be boarded. Because the controller of the party, the owner of the party, is not Gavin. Gavin might be just the storm that is trying to, you know, suck me from the party, but I'm not going anywhere. Because Gav, uh, Simon was the one who invited me, and I know that he is the owner of that party. He is the one who has control in that party. That is how God wants us to view him. View him as the one who is able to make way for you in every situation. The one who is able to provide your needs for you in every situation. And I tell you, when you have seen God in that light, it increases your faith. Because Bible says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes, in other words, by knowing Jesus. Because Bible says, Jesus is the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. I end it here. like I'd rather listen to a Mark Morning, but uh, <laughs> brilliant. Thank you, Corby. That was great. Just blessed by that. Let's continue with our second story this morning. We're going to skip a few verses in the Bible. Um, we saw another story, which is Jesus demonstrating his power over the demonic. All right. And it's a fascinating story, which results in a load of pigs jumping off a cliff. Okay. Read that one at home in your own time. But um, let's jump into Matthew 9, verse 1, and we'll read the next little story here. It's on the screen behind me again. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. And some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. Brilliant. So... Again, um, Jesus here has made the point that he is more than just a man. He's showing us his identity. He's showing us that he is the Messiah. He is God. As Colby said, he's revealing his identity. And sometimes we can miss the point. We can miss who Jesus really is, can't we? We can forget that this is God. And this story is another example of that. So like, picture the scene here, okay? We get a whole crowd of people following Jesus um, to learn from him and hear from his teaching. And this very story, we see it in a bit more detail in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, um, where he describes that this man on the mat, uh, he describes how his friends lower him from the roof to Jesus, okay? So this guy's on a mat, and uh, his friends lower him from the ceiling in front of Jesus. I need to get myself some better friends, by the way. My friends would not be lowering me from a roof. They might drop me. But uh, these guys, friends, they were so determined for him to encounter Jesus, they lowered him from the roof. So he was in front of Jesus. And then once he's there, we see this lovely little interaction with Jesus, where Jesus looks at this paralyzed man on the mat. Okay, He looks at this paralyzed man, and he says, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Let's just pause there for a second. He looks at the paralyzed man on the mat, and the first thing he says is, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. 
What? Why did he say that? Why did he say, get up and walk, you're healed? Or, you know, oh, you're in a bit of a predicament, get up and walk away. Why did he say that? Why did he say, take heart, your sins are forgiven? Like, he didn't even mention the fact that he's paralyzed. He just says, cheer up, son, your sins are forgiven. What a weird interaction. And on the face of it, that's a weird interaction. It's a strange thing. But if you look at the culture at the time, you get a bit more of an understanding. And you realize, actually, that Jesus saying to this man, you take heart, your sins are forgiven. That was actually a very valid response. And just like the storm earlier, this was Jesus demonstrating who he really was. Let me just give you a bit of Jewish culture here, okay, bear with me. But in Jewish culture, there was this kind of long-standing belief that someone who was paralyzed, uh, was, they were paralyzed because of sins before God. So it would have been a widely accepted view that if someone was paralyzed, someone couldn't walk, that they must have done something wrong and they were being punished for it by God. This isn't what Matthew suggests in his passage, but this was how it was culturally at the time. Jewish people would have understood that. And this was a way of thinking which was used by religious leaders to avoid them having to deal with paralyzed people. The religious leaders could wash their hands and say, hey, it's between you and God. You're paralyzed because of something that you've done before God. It was a way of the religious people avoiding dealing with the outcasts of society. Which for me gives this story even more depth Because this man on the mat, he would have known this. He would have known that the religious teachers wouldn't help him. The authorities at the time, the people who were supposed to help him, they wouldn't help him. And his friends would have known that. His friends would have known that the last place this guy can go for help is a synagogue, is a temple. He ain't going to find help from these religious people. So his friends and this man, they must have seen something different in Jesus. They must have recognized already that this wasn't like the other religious leaders at the time. He wasn't like the other rabbis. The stories that they'd heard, the rumors that they'd seen, the different things Jesus had been doing, the things that they'd seen and witnessed with their own eyes, they'd left them feeling confident that this Jesus character was different to any of the other religious teachers at the time. And he offered them something that the religious leaders didn't. Jesus offers something different. And this is a message for us as Christians today, by the way, as well, okay? Because the world needs to look at us as followers of Jesus in the same way. So, like, people who would be shunned by the so-called righteous people in our world, they should look at us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and think, actually, these guys are going to love and care for me. These guys are going to show compassion towards me. I'm not going to be rejected by these guys because the Jesus that they follow is different from the religion that I see. That's what people should see when they look at us as Christians. Those who are on the edge of society, those who are outcasts, they should look at at the church, look at Christians and say, there's a place for me here. I can belong here. I can find love and acceptance here. Why? Because we get to reflect Jesus. What a privilege that is, isn't it? We get to reflect Jesus. So Jesus was demonstrating here that he was better than the religious leaders at the time. He had something that they didn't. And Jesus then goes on to make a statement which, um, which showed that he understood the priorities of men. 
Like everyone else in the room, okay, when they looked at this man, it was obvious what this man needed, okay? Anyone looking in the room would have known what this man needed. He needed to be able to walk, right? Like he's on a map, like he needed to be able to walk. Um, and if you'd asked anyone in the whole area what this man needed, they would have said, this man needs to walk. But Jesus shows that he understood this man's real priorities. Can you see that? Jesus kind of gets past the obvious and gets to the real heart of the issue. And Jesus has got a bit of a habit of doing this in the Bible, doesn't he? Um, I think Jesus is great like that. There's a story in Mark 10, you know the story of blind Bartimaeus? And their blind Bartimaeus is their blind, believe it or not. And he, uh, he comes over to Jesus and Jesus is like, yeah, what do you want? Like he's blind. <laughs> uh, let me think. Uh, like Jesus looks past the obvious and says, yeah, what do you want? And there's this other story as well, the Samaritan lady at the well in John 4. Have you seen that one? Where she starts talking about wanting a drink. She's like, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? And Jesus starts talking about living water. And she's like, oh, I'd like some of that living water. And Jesus looks straight past that. And he's like, no, no, you need something better. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the real living water. He gets right past her immediate need and gets to the bigger need, which wasn't for spiritual water, uh, for physical water. It was for spiritual water. Guys, Jesus knows what our real priorities are. This guy's friends thought they were helping their mate. They thought that him being able to walk and get off his mat would fix everything. They thought they knew what he needed. And we can get into the attitude, can't we, of our prayer life. We can get a little bit like that. We can start praying about situations. And instead of saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. We start praying things like, God, if you do this, if you fix this situation, then it'll be okay. Like, God, if you could just do this, then I'm telling you, God, this is what you need to do, and then I'll be happy. That can be our attitude sometimes, can't it? We forget that we're praying to the one who knows exactly what we need. We read about it earlier in Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he reminds us that our Father knows exactly what we need before we even speak. He knows what we need before we even say a word. That's got to change your prayer life, right? It isn't about what we think that we need. It's about the one who knows what we need. And we sometimes forget that Jesus is concerned about our spiritual health much more than our physical health. That's, that's a priority. So Jesus was showing that he had authority to forgive this man. And this is a statement that got him in trouble. So in verse 3 it says, At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Because they were seriously concerned because you can't just go around forgiving sins. People can't go around forgiving sins, can they? So like, if I, let me use another demonstration like Kobe, if I went and stood on Charlotte's foot now, I'm not going to do it, but if I went and stamped like, bang, on Charlotte's foot, okay, um, I could say sorry and Charlotte could forgive me. She could say, I've forgiven your sins. She might be a little bit mad, so I might have Raj to answer to, but she could forgive me, okay? But Deb's over here. Deb's couldn't come over here, so I've just stamped on Charlotte's foot. Deb's couldn't come over and say, don't worry, Gavin, you are forgiven. She couldn't do it because I haven't done it to her. I've done it to Charlotte. You can't go forgiving sins uh, for other people on their behalf, can you? So for Jesus to be saying to this man, I forgive your sins, your sins are forgiven, that would not make any sense at all. You can't go forgiving things done against God unless you are 
God. And that's when a penny drops, and that's why the religious people get so mad. Because Jesus was showing who he was. He is God. And that's the main point of this story in a story that Colby told earlier. Jesus wanted the people there to know exactly who he is. Exactly who they were dealing with. And he wants us today to know exactly who he is. He wants us to recognize that he is God. Whether it's dealing with storms in our lives, like we saw in the first story, or whether it's getting to the real issues in our lives, the things that we um, really need. Jesus wants you to recognize today who he is and what authority he, uh, he has. Because when we recognize who Jesus really is, it changes things for us, doesn't it? Like, if you're facing a stormy situation right now, I know many of us are, and uh, you're going through kind of things that you're struggling with, you need to remember that the king of kings, the one who controls everything, is in your midst. So yes, you're in the middle of a storm. Yes, life is difficult, but you're not there on your own. You're there of the one who has authority over everything. That's got to change that situation, right? That doesn't leave you struggling on your own. He stands with you through hardships and through storms and he asks you to trust him. In the same way that the disciples were astounded and asked, who is this man? Jesus wants to leave us astounded as he intervenes in our life, as he, as he deals with situations with us. He wants us to be astounded and say, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much because only God could have done that. God could have done that. Look, for a lot of us, recognizing who Jesus really is will help us to allow us um, to be led into what we really need as well. I know for, for many of you, when I was talking about a paralyzed man earlier, thinking he knew what he needed, maybe that resonated with you a little bit. Maybe you've got into the habit of kind of trusting God and asking, uh, you've, you've got out of the habit of trusting God and asking for his will to be done. And you've got into that whole, God, I know what I need attitude. Because that's not helpful. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust that he knows exactly what we need. Like I'm nearly done, but I started this morning talking about authority, didn't I? And talking about how we can sometimes have a negative view of authority. But within, this, uh, within these stories we've looked at today, we see Jesus' uh, Jesus' authority himself. And I think there's something in this for us. Because when we recognize that Jesus has authority, when we recognize that he's in control, we can get a sense of peace. Suddenly, how we approach situations is different. You know, one of the most common things we like to say as Christians is trust God. That's it, trust God. One of my favorite scriptures, one of the most famous scriptures is, uh, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. We all know it. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Like, we've all used that, haven't we? We've all said it. Trust in God with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. Well, let's just think about that in light of what we've learned today about who God is, okay? We're not just saying trust in God. We're saying trust in the one who has authority over the wind and the waves. 
Trust in the one who can change lives. Trust in the one who can bring healing. Trust in the one who can transform your life with a single word. Trust in him who left people astounded. We're not just saying trust in the Lord. We're saying trust in the one who has authority. And lean not on your own understanding. When we discover who God really is, then trust in him becomes something which is the most natural thing in the world because we're trusting someone who's got authority. Such an important thing. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We need to remember who it is that we're trusting, the one who has authority. Look, there might be people here this morning who are hearing this for the first time. You've maybe never heard about this God who's got authority before. Can I just encourage you, as I've said a lot of times today, that this guy is worth following. Do you know, last night, me and, uh, I'm kind of away from my notes here, me and Andy got a taxi home from, from Nev's house, it was late on, and we had a taxi driver, and she was chatting to us, and, and we were saying, no, we've got to be up in a few hours, because we've, uh, we've got church in the morning, and we started talking to her about church, and, and she was like, well, aren't all religions the same? Like, it's really cool that you guys have got peace, right? It's really cool that you guys are really positive about your faith, but aren't all religions the same? And we were able to talk to her and say, actually, do you know what? The Jesus that we follow is not the same. Yes, religions maybe have some common things, but the Jesus that we follow is different to any other religion that you'll see. And we want to encourage you to search and meet him. Because we believe that, don't we? We believe that Jesus is worth following. We believe that he gives us something that no one else, nothing else in the world can offer us. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us and we're going to do We've run over time, so we're not going to sing, but we're going to pray. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your authority, gods. I thank you that we come to a God who, is, who has authority over everything, lords. We come to a God who is worth trusting. We come to a God who is worth following with all of our lives. We thank you that you offer us something that we can't find anywhere else in the world, lords. And we want to pray, God, for each of us. Would you help us to remember that, even in the midst of difficulties, God? Would you help us to remember who it is that we're trusting? Help us to remember who you are. I want to pray for each of us, God. If there's anyone here facing situations at the moment and struggling on God, I pray would you give them a fresh revelation this morning of who you are. In the same way that you revealed yourself to the disciples and to the other guys in this story, God, I pray would you reveal yourself to people this morning. Help them to know who you are and how much you want to intervene in their situation, God. And I pray you would give us all a passion to want to share uh, about who it is that we follow, Lord. Help us to have a passion to share that we follow a Jesus who has authority, Lord. As Rob said this morning, God, let us have the real urgency and uh, excitement about discipleship, Lord, because we've all got a part to play. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you're worth following. We love you for who you are, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.